0: Good morning. Our scripture today comes from the 16th chapter of Matthew, verses 13 through 18. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thank you, Marlene. Won't you please join me in a word of prayer? Lord God, it is so good to talk about things that matter with people who care, and we are here today because it matters. And we do care. And we long for a word from your word, a word that can encourage us and inspire us, Challenge us and equip us to go out and live as your people. Our hearts, our minds, our ears are open and receptive this morning. May your word do a good work in us through the power of your spirit. We pray that in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I thought it would be fun to kind of start out this morning with a little game, if you'll play along with me. The game is called, Who Am I? And the way that works is this. We're going to put a picture up on the screen and you're going to have to tell us who that picture is is, but you can see it's a little blurry, and so you're going to have to do a little extra work to figure it out, and the first one is a little bit easy. Who is that? Abraham Lincoln. That's right. Very good. All right, here's the the more challenging one. No, it's a mushroom. No, it, it is Albert Einstein. That's right. All right, good. All right, let's do another. Yeah, that's good. See, you're right. How many think it's Michelle Obama? How many think it's Oprah? Let's see. It's Oprah. All right. Good, good. All right. How many think it's John Lennon? Thank you. How many think it's Adele? Let's see. Uh, Okay. All right. How many think it's John Stewart? I'm How to think it's Martin Miller? Yeah. The, yeah, the gray hair is getting you, right? Okay. All right. You guys are not hip at all. Take a look. It's, it's Jay-Z. All right. Yeah. All the preschool moms got that. I don't know. I don't know what that means. I, 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 we play this game for a reason. The reason is, although you were way too good at the game, so it kind of undermines the whole sermon. Thanks a lot. But we play this game to point out that sometimes you can look at a picture and not really be clear about who it is because it looks a little fuzzy and you need to gain clarity in order to recognize who the person actually is. And that's true in life. You know, uh, Jesus came into this world. 2,000 years ago, claimed to be the Son of God. The Jewish people had long awaited for their Savior to come. The prophets have foretold that He would come. And when Jesus came and announced who He was and what He was going to do, people weren't quite sure. It was a little bit fuzzy. And now here we are, modern-day Americans, 2,000 years later. We sometimes wonder, Was Jesus really who he said he was? Did he really do what the Bible says he did? And if he was, and if he did, what difference does that make in our everyday lives? And if Jesus is demanding some kind of a commitment from you and me, if he's asking us to really put our trust and faith in him and live life his way, by what authority does he make that demand on our lives? And if we Have the trust and faith to live life His way? Will we experience the kind of life He promised us, both here and hereafter? I think these are good questions. They're fair questions. They're honest questions. And how we answer those questions are really based on how we answer one fundamental question, the question we're going to look at today. So welcome. We are glad you're here as we continue our study in the life and teachings of Jesus, who He is, what He did, and why it matters. And we've looked at stories Jesus told and miracles Jesus performed. And right now, we're looking at questions Jesus asked. And we're pointing out that when Jesus asked questions, it wasn't because He was clueless and didn't have an answer. It was because He was wise and He wanted to have us discover the answer. And He knew that good questions are a great teaching tool And so we're looking at some of the questions Jesus asked to to recognize his wisdom and apply that wisdom to our lives. And today we're going to look at what I believe is the most important question that you and I will ever answer in our lives. When we answer this question, it determines how we answer every other question that comes along. The question we find in today's scripture lesson, uh, Jesus is uh, with his disciples They've been ministering in Galilee. That's the the northern area of the the nation of Israel where Jesus spent a lot of his time and ministry. And uh, Jesus at this time had become pretty well-known and popular in the Galilee region. Huge crowds were drawn and miracles were happening. And Jesus and his disciples had just been through a very busy season of ministry. And now Jesus takes them 25 miles north to the area of Caesarea Philippi which is in modern-day Syria, kind of away from the area where Jesus was well-known, so He and His disciples could be relaxed for a little while, not draw the large crowds and just kind of recover a little bit. It's sort of like a personal retreat time after a very busy season. Jesus wanted His disciples to reflect on all that had been happening, but He also wanted to prepare them for what was going to happen in the near future. Jesus knew He was about to die on the cross for our sins, and He wanted the, the disciples to be prepared for what lie ahead? And so while they're on this little retreat near Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asks them a question. He says, who do the people say that I am? You see, Jesus knew the disciples had been working amongst the crowds, working with people. He'd been, They'd been hearing the chatter and the talk, and, and He wanted to know, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples give Him the answer. They say, well, some say you're the prophet John the Baptist, or maybe Elijah, or maybe Jeremiah. And they didn't mean literally that Jesus was those people, but Jesus was like them. Because the, the Jewish people believed that before the Messiah would come, a great prophet would arise from among them and point to the Messiah. And so they're saying a lot of people think that maybe, Jesus, you're that you're that special prophet that comes just before the Messiah comes. That, that, that you're that great teacher, that miracle worker, who is going to show us who the Messiah is going to be. To be, in other words, they're saying, we think you're a good man. We think you're a wise man. We think you're a man of God. But the people don't think you're the son of God. At least not very many. And then Jesus, after hearing that answer, asks his disciples a more personal question. He says, okay, that's who the crowd say I am. Now, you, you twelve who've been with me, cl- followed me closely, Observe me carefully. You who know me best, who do you say I am? And then Peter speaks up. We don't know if he speaks up just for himself or for all the disciples, but he says, oh, you're you're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him, he says, you got that right, pal. And your name is now Rocky. Because Peter means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus affirmed Peter and affirmed Peter's answer to this very important question. And if you read through the rest of the Gospels and the New Testament, what you discover is that Peter does become the rock upon which the church is built. After denying Jesus during the time of the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus, Peter then encounters the resurrected Jesus, becomes thoroughly convinced, and becomes a bold and courageous Preacher, he preaches the very first sermon in the book of Acts, and then Peter does the very first altar call. Thousands of people come and accept Jesus and put their trust in Him. Peter goes on to be one of the leaders of the Jerusalem Council, the first church in Jerusalem, and eventually Peter, like eleven of the, or ten of the other disciples along with him, Peter eventually gets arrested, tortured, and executed for His persistent belief that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of the God, the the one who died on the cross and rose from the dead. In fact, a Christian tradition has it that Peter actually was crucified like Jesus, but just before he was crucified, he requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified the way his Lord had been crucified. We don't know if that's true or not, but it's an interesting story. But what we do know is true is that the early disciples were convinced that Jesus was who He said He was, and Jesus affirmed their belief in His identity, that even though the picture was fuzzy for a lot of people, it became very clear for those disciples, those closest to Jesus. And now here we are 2,000 years later, and the Christian church over the centuries has grown and expanded around the world. The history of the church is not perfect, and sometimes it's not pretty. But what is true is that in spite of many attempts to destroy the church of Jesus Christ, it has triumphed and endured till this day. And as Jesus says, it'll be here and the the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Today, 2.2 billion people on planet Earth consider themselves Christians. That's 31% of the world's population. Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Now, being the biggest doesn't mean you're right. But it does prove the words of Jesus that the church would prevail against all opposition and continue to grow and expand. And yet what was true in Jesus' day is true in our day. Only a minority of people really believe Jesus to be the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. I mean, 31% of the world's population is Christian. That means... Almost 70% of the world does not believe that. In Islam, they believe that Jesus was a, a great prophet, but not the Messiah, not the Son of God. The Jews believe Jesus was a prophet, but not the Messiah, the Son of God. Hindus believe Jesus was an enlightened teacher who appeared on earth after many reincarnations and was one of the many enlightened guides to help us know wisdom and truth. But none of these claim Jesus to be who we Christians believe Jesus is. When you look out over the landscape, there are people who say, well, Jesus was a bright man, he was a great teacher, he was a historical figure who did, uh, miracles according to some, but, but the Son of God, the Messiah, we're, we're not so sure we want to believe in that. It's interesting, modern historians are almost unanimous in their agreement. That Jesus was a real person, a historical person, not a legend, but a real person. Just like Abraham Lincoln and Elvis and Jay-Z and Adele. A real person who lived and it was purported to do great miracles and was in fact crucified on a cross. Almost all reputable historians agree that there is ample evidence to affirm all of those things. But where things start to get fuzzy are on some of the claims that we Christians make about Jesus. Beyond that, that He was the Son of God, that He performed miracles, that He rose from the dead. Modern skeptics sometimes scoff at those claims, saying, oh, that's just the reflection of ancient superstitions of unenlightened ancient cultures. Dan Brown, who wrote the best-selling book, The Da Vinci Code, kind of makes that argument in his book. He tries to argue that nobody really believed Jesus rose from the dead in the first century, that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God, that all these fanciful stories about miracles and rising from the dead, those were all legends that arose years after Jesus had walked the earth. And the church was not primarily a religious organization. The church was really a political organization that borrowed religious motifs and themes In order to gain political power in a very religious world. And while Dan Brown does his best to make a compelling argument, he cannot explain, cannot explain the existence of the church from the first century within days after Jesus was crucified. He he cannot explain why Peter and the other disciples were willing to go to their death rather than deny the claim that they'd seen the risen Jesus. The truth of the matter is, friends, there is no good explanation unless unless it really happened. And those things that were supposed to be legends that arose hundreds of years after Jesus turn out to be stories that circulated during the years immediately after Jesus' death and resurrection. Much too early to become legend. But we live in times similar to the days of the Disciples and Jesus, where there are lots of opinions and skeptical ideas about Jesus, some of them even cynical. Only a small minority actually believe, like St. Peter believed, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And yet, that question Jesus asked, that question, who do you say I am, is so important because what matters for you and for me is not who Dan Brown says Jesus was. Or who Time Magazine writes, Jesus might have been. Or what your college professor said Jesus could have been. Or your neighbor, or your Muslim friend, or your pastor, or your Sunday school teacher, or even your parents. What matters most for you and for me is who do you say Jesus is? Who do I say? See, at some point, that question stops being hypothetical, and it gets very personal. And... How we answer that question affects every other answer to every other question in our lives. What's the basis of your belief about Jesus? What do you believe about him and why do you believe it? I want to suggest to you today that before you can answer the question who you think Jesus is, it it might require a little bit of investigation to make sure that the fuzzy picture can become a little bit more clear some of you know my story i've told it before but uh, i'm not before you as someone who's been a christian his whole life i started out a christian and then i turned away from christianity and came back to it later but i grew up in church my parents took me every sunday we went to sunday school and worship service every week it was rare i ever missed church i wasn't allowed to miss church we we went it was part of who we were as a family and Then went on as I got to be a teenager. Went to church youth group and got involved in that. And then finally I felt God calling me to be a pastor. I went off to college planning to prepare to become an ordained minister. And then while I was in college, my faith took a big hit. Some of the academic courses I began taking in college raised some serious questions about the kind of naive, superficial faith I had when I was growing up. I had a lot of questions that couldn't be answered now the questions that things i was studying about world religions and philosophy and sociology and intro to bible the, the 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 childhood faith that i had began to crumble as i entered into adulthood and i began to realize i didn't have answers to some complicated questions and here's the deal my college professors they were so good at poking holes in my faith What they weren't good at is providing any answers to help me move forward and build a stronger faith. And so my questions turned to doubts and my doubts turned to skepticism and my skepticism spiraled into cynicism. And it got to the point where I stopped going to church. I stopped reading my Bible and praying. I stopped participating in the campus Christian fellowship I'd been a part of. And I stopped preparing to be a pastor. And I share that part of my story because. That's. Your story as well, some of you. Or some of you are parents right now, and that's a story of your kids who come home from college after a semester and no longer believe in Jesus or God or the Bible. And for some of you who have kids who haven't gotten to an age yet where they go off to college, I don't want to be pessimistic, but your day's coming. You know, uh, I'm before you now because there was one professor on campus who, for whatever reason, took a liking to me my freshman year. He was a devout Christian, and uh, we were actually attending the same church there near campus, and uh, he was my intro to uh, world religions professor, and uh, he invited me over to his house several times with other students to have a meal, and we got to know each other, and, well, a couple semesters had gone by, we, I hadn't taken any more classes from him or with him, and, We just ran into each other on campus and he asked me how I was doing preparing to become a pastor and I explained to him that I didn't believe that anymore and I wasn't preparing to be a pastor and that conversation led to several other conversations and then this professor was so wise, he said, listen Mark, just because you have a lot of questions and you're searching for answers, just because you don't have the answers now doesn't mean that answers don't exist. Because I think that's what happens to a lot of people. They have questions that they don't have the answers to, so they assume, if I don't have an answer, there isn't one. When in reality, there are answers out there. And my professor reminded me of the words of Jesus, who said, if you seek, you will find. And then he went a step further. He worked with the dean of students to allow me to do an independent study for two credit hours, where I could spend time researching the claims of Christianity and the reasons behind those claims, and write a research paper that he would grade, and I would get credit for it. And so I began to do research, and I got to tell you, here's what I discovered. I discovered that there are a lot of really good answers to questions out there. I've discovered thinkers and writers like C.S. Lewis and Soren Kierkegaard and G.K. Chesterton and Blaise Pascal who've written amazing books. That explained the Christian faith and the reasons for it. I discovered that many of the arguments raised by skeptics and cynics are easily refuted by the findings of archaeology and historical data and well-disciplined logic. I discovered there are some very intelligent people who look at the evidence and come to the conclusion that Jesus was in fact who he claimed to be, that he did what the Bible said he did, that St. Peter was exactly right. I've discovered that your faith in Jesus doesn't have to be a blind and ignorant faith, that you don't have to believe in spite of the evidence, that you can have a thoughtful and reasoned faith, that you can actually believe in light of the evidence. Amen? See, Christianity is not this religion where you just park your brain at the door when you come in and then you just believe whatever somebody says because they're the religious authority. Christianity is a faith where you wrestle with important questions and you discover there are really good answers. Jesus told us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's a connection to your mind and your heart. And when you begin to study and discover what Christians believe and why we believe it, you begin to realize this is not some faith in a fairy tale. This is a reasoned, logical, philosophically coherent Belief system based on the evidence. And I'll tell you, I, I'm not, I'm not here to say that I, you know, researched my way back to Christianity, but I'll tell you this, God used the research I was doing to convince me once again that Christianity is true. Not just a belief that could be true, but it is true. See, human beings, we're, we're what they call teleological people. We, we want to believe for a reason. We want to understand why we believe. Because I'll tell you, when your faith is under pressure and under attack, what you believe isn't enough. You've got to know why you believe what you believe. So who do you say he is? And if you say he's the Savior, the Son of the living God, why, why do you say that? 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you about the faith you have within you. One of the important tasks of the modern day church is to equip the saints with the ability to explain what they believe and why they believe it. That's why I'm so proud of our student ministries. We, we teach high schoolers the basic truths of the Christian faith and the, the historical and philosophical reasons for that faith and why it makes sense. That's why we have small groups that study this stuff. That's why we encourage people to do reading. In fact, in your bulletin sermon notes, I've listed a a whole bunch of books. If you're struggling in this area, I'd encourage you to to engage in a little research, to love God with your mind, to seek so you can find. And here's the deal, even if you don't think you need that, even if you say, well, I know what I believe and I kind of know why I believe it, that's okay, but if, if you can't state it clearly and compellingly, you ought to study so you can help other people, especially if you're a parent with a, with a child, because sometime your child is going to come home with a lot of questions, and you're going to want to be able to help them answer those very important questions. Hey, look, life is busy. Many decisions have to be made on a daily basis, but here is the most important decision you and I will ever make, the decision about who Jesus really is is make an informed and intelligent decision about that because i'll tell you if he's just a wise teacher if he's just an ancient prophet or if he's just some kind of misguided revolutionary then do whatever you want with your life doesn't matter but if he is the son of the living god who died on a cross for our sins and rose from the dead and taught us not only how to live but promises to be the power to help us live it If He is who He said He was, and if He did what He said He'd do, then He is worthy of our love, our devotion, and our obedience. Hey, the truth of the matter is, we all struggle to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The deception and distraction of this world makes it tough these days. But the church is here to help. You'll never have the desire to truly believe unless you know why you truly believe. Because here's the fact. 2,000 years ago, Jesus walked on this earth. He was crucified. Who do you say He is? Why do you say He is? Seek and you will find. And if you're convinced, if you truly believe it, you'll believe it in light of the evidence, not in spite of the evidence. And you want to be part of the modern day church seeking to be the light of Jesus Christ in this world with the confidence that the gates of hell cannot prevail against us.